1: What's up, everybody? It's Wednesday night, I think, after a holiday. Kind of confusing, but uh, we are here talking Bengals as we normally are. No weeks off, maybe occasional ones here and there, but not a week off, even though it's a little slight on the news front here with the Bengals not doing on-field work. The guys are taking a break. They're doing different things, but that's okay because John Sheeran and myself are here to talk about some things with the Bengals. We've got a lot on tap. Tonight, we're going to really do a deep dive into the NFC South because the Bengals play all of the teams in that division on their schedule this year. Not a common thing. Usually every, what, every four years, and then obviously every eight years they switch back and forth, home and away, and then we've got some remember whens and other things to talk about. Obviously some some news pertaining to one of those teams that we'll talk about, so that'll segue nicely into that. But I'm Anthony Cazenza. As I mentioned, I'm joined by John in his new venue, his new digs. And Randall's keeping an eye on things in the back. John. How you doing, buddy? I know, I know. There's some things that happened in your move
2: there, but uh, you hanging in there? I am hanging in there. I'm not, not in Vegas watching UFC with, with our boys there. Oh but, gosh, you know, um, we're, I'm officially a Hyde Parker now, so I moved from Norwood to Hyde Park, a little closer to the city, a little, a little bit more of a an upgrade, if you will. But yeah, things are going well. There's not a single piece of furniture in this room. Nor lights aside from my studio lights. <laughs> so, this is the ultimate uh, standard 25, 26 year old uh, man apartment, if you will. Randall's still in the doghouse back there. He's kind of hanging in the door in the dark. So, he'll be there for the time being. But, you know, he, you all can see him. So, I wanted to make sure that everyone knew that he was still alive.
1: And our and our good friend of the show here, Mike Holbrook, who's who's been an avid listener and a good buddy of ours, he says, "John needs some pictures on those walls."
2: Don't worry, they're coming.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with him. But it's like, hey, I think you just got in there. Let's let's let the dust settle a little bit, then we can kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of deck the place out a little bit. But I'm glad the move went well. How was your holiday? What'd you what'd you do for for the fourth?
2: Oh man, uh, I was on a river. Uh, drinking some, some beverages and I went to a pool and I went to some family. I think I'd only saw like five fireworks though in the three days. Um, I can't really see him out of my window or I just didn't see any out of my window and I didn't really go any place for him. But honestly, man, like I hated fireworks growing up. Like I was very sensitive to like the noise. And then I got a ton of fireworks in after I kind of like overcame that. And now it's just like, eh, like if I see him, it's great, but don't know no. like what do you think like do you like go out of your way to see fireworks uh, out in California So
1: it's uh, normally I would um for the past few years for some reason just the way the days and evenings have played out I have not watched them and then my son oddly enough has the same kind of little sensitivity to the to the fireworks that you were talking about he kind of was afraid of them and you know, this was like this buildup of like, you know, I'm going to see him this year and all this kind of stuff. And of course he crashes out before any shows go. So it's like, okay. Um, And so, you know, where the kids, where the kids go, the the adults go a little bit there, but um, yeah. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. My friend, the river floating sounds amazing. I did that about a month or so ago in Texas. It's a, it's an experience. It's fun. Um, Well, at any rate, I hope everybody else had a good fun safe fourth. We are back. We are talking some Bengals, and as I mentioned, we'll be talking about the NFC South portion of the schedule. If, In case you haven't been listening to us over the past, I don't know, month, uh, we just finished up our AFC North preview with a lot of special guests. We don't have the special guests per se lined up for these uh, divisional previews as of yet, but... Um, You know, those were really cool with Jeff Lloyd from Locked On Browns and Justin from Engraving Vids and uh, the guys from the Believe in Steelers, Ike Taylor and Mark Bergen. That was just all a a lot of fun and a lot of great information from all those. So be sure to catch out on or catch up on all of those right there. John, I know you want to give me some guff about something going on uh, in in the
2: football landscape. Where where, where are we starting with this thing? I mean, I'm not trying to roast you. I think a moment of silence, though. For the Pacific Athletic Conference is is in order. Um, our resident West Coaster and Anthony, you know, he's always he's always hyping up the West Coast college prospects, and obviously a, a big USC fan as well. And now he's a Midwesterner like me. He, he's he's joining the Big Ten here, going after that that Big Ten uh, TV money. Good for him. Good for UCLA tagging tagging along. And I guess UC is is now going to be paired up with some some former Pac twelve or Pac ten uh mainstays in the Big Twelve. I don't I don't know where this is all going, Anthony, but eventually it, it does seem like it's just gonna be like the NFL light and there's two mega conferences kind of Probably. doing so and we're just we're just doing a bunch of extra steps, but I guess a, a brief moment of silence for, for the Pac 12.
1: Yeah. Moment of silence. Uh I you know we'll have to maybe get try and get Anthony Munoz on the show again. Um maybe if we get the, the opportunity to talk to Max Montoya. I think you guys did did so on DNH a while ago. Um, which was, which was really cool. But both of those guys, USC, UCLA, I would love to hear what those guys have to say about it, especially since a lot of the tradition and all that kind of stuff that goes with it. I'm a little bummed from, I guess, a little bit of a football purist standpoint, because there are a lot of good rivalries in that conference. And I grew up watching, you know, the, the SC battle, some really good Oregon teams and uh, you know, just a lot of, you know, USC Stanford, I, you know, spoke with David Shaw, this, 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 spring right before the draft and, you know, just thinking about that rivalry and everything, it just was, um I don't know. It's a little bit of a bummer. It's a little bit of a sting. It does bring back, I mean, there were some great, you know, clashes over the years, not often, but Ohio State and, and USC and, and others that, you know, could be, uh, could end up being a, a pretty good rivalry or, or or starting of new rivalries here. And especially now with USC and their new coach and everything, I don't know. Maybe it's just the direction that they were always going to go, but um, on one hand, it's it, there's a lot of excitement and in, in, in the college football standpoint of it, and you know, a, a big teams playing in a big conference, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, the Pac-12 always kind of ha- had a special place with me. So no more, no more Pac-12 after dark, really, John. Remember Pretty those? Much, the, yeah, yeah, those 10:30 kickoffs for you all. Um, that was like awesome for me because 7:38. I'm like, put the kids to bed. I'm gonna watch the Pac-12. Uh, I don't know that that's going to be the case anymore.
2: Now you get um, nine AM kickoffs against Rutgers. You know how about that? <laughs> oh no!
1: Mm-hmm. Oh USC Rutgers. Oh, that's <laughs> that's the new rivalry. That's the new yeah. rivalry. Oh my gosh! Uh, well, yeah. So big kind of big news, and I were, was this something that was I, I I didn't think it was something that was really.
2: I, I, I just wasn't expecting it. I, it just kind of came out a little bit out of nowhere, I it think. It completely right? came out of nowhere for us. Like I, f- I feel like with college sports, the, it's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. It's a lot of stuff that's kind of over our head. And then one day, it just kind of gets leaked. And once it gets leaked, it's not like it's a possibility. It's like an inevitability. And then insiders kind of get caught up on it. Um, you had Pete, Pete Thamel. You had uh, Nicole Auerbach kind of getting on it. And then once it kind of reaches that stage, it's like, oh, this is – this is just a matter of when. And for some reason, like with college, it's like that with the NFL, we kind of hear about the rumors beforehand, but I mean, it's a whole nother world in in college sports and the things that we don't know about it. But at the end of the day, it's all about the money. It's all about the greenbacks.
1: It is. It is about the money. It is chasing some dollars. That is, and that's kind of the way also a little bit that a lot of elements of college football are heading as well with the, uh, the licensing and all that kind of stuff for individual players and, you know that's just kind of where it's going. So, is what it is. We'll see how it all develops. Maybe it won't be as bad as I think, but a uh, little bit of a little bit of a sting over here. Talking about Pac-12 football. Well, Mr. Whisper in his super chat, John gave us a nice, n- generous, and uh, great segue to the other big news that came out today. And it, I, this one is not really surprising because this has been something that's been kicked around for the better part of, gosh, I don't know since really the end of the draft, right? Um, that this was maybe where he was, uh, meaning Baker Mayfield, where he's going to go. This is right here from the Charlotte Observer. The Carolina Panthers have traded with the Cleveland Browns for quarterback Baker Mayfield pending a physical league Sources have cons- confirmed. And it's what, a 2024 conditional fifth-round pick or something? Is that what the, uh, the compensation was there? It
2: is a fifth-round pick. And if he plays, I believe, 70% or more of snaps, it turns into a fourth-round pick, which is still – a starting quarterback in the NFL, pretty much pennies.
1: It is. It is. Um I, Okay. Your, your reaction to this here. Um there, There's an interesting kind of situation that plays out as it pertains to the Bengals schedule with this, but your reaction to it. And as you sit here right now, is he, does he come in there automatically and he's he's going to start um, and he is the presumed starter, uh, or are they going to try and let, let Darnold compete with, I mean, where? Where are you seeing this going here?
2: So I think there was a report, I forget who it was by, that said that he's going to compete with Darnold, which is fair based off of the last time we saw Baker Mayfield. It was not a good product at all. How much of that was injury? I don't know. I think a lot of what Baker was at the end of the season, I think it transcended more than just his mechanics kind of getting screwed up from the injury. It seemed like it was a lot of mental things too. He was just kind of pushing through it, and he was kind of forcing things, and he was... Really, the worst of himself. And there was just some things that he did that just didn't seem to have anything to do with the injury on his non throwing arm. So, unfortunately, his value wasn't, it couldn't have been any lower than it was for a former first overall pick. So, there's no scenario in my mind where it's like you trade for Baker Mayfield and you make him your unquestioned starter, even though undoubtedly he's had a better career than Sam Darnold, who was picked two picks um, behind him. But now I think his cap hit is going to be significantly smaller than it was because Cleveland's taking on, I think, 60 or 70% of the money that he was supposed to earn. So it's not like he's coming in with a contract that says, you got to start this guy regardless. Darnold's been at least in the system for a year. I don't know how much that's going to help him because he's just, at this point, just not a very good NFL quarterback. But yeah, I think with Baker, it's like there's no scenario where you can make him the unquestioned starter. I guess for me, like Seattle made more sense in terms of him being able to get on the field as soon as possible or maybe have the least, the path of least resistance to getting on the field because I feel like Drew Locke and Geno Smith is, it's it's just as bad, if not worse, than what Sam Darnold is in Carolina. So Seattle was the other place that it was possible for Baker Mayfield to go. Carolina ended up being the spot. And I think it was almost a little bit more cleaner to project, like, say a Jimmy G trade to Carolina and then Baker trade to Seattle and then all the quarterbacks who don't have a home, then find a home. So maybe Jimmy G now stays in San Francisco. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes, but yeah, it's going to be a competition between Mayfield and and Darnold. And I think if you were to compare both of them, Mayfield is probably the better quarterback when healthy, but I don't know. anything. it just doesn't seem like a a ton that's going to, it doesn't seem like an impactful enough move to potentially save Matt rule, his job, which ultimately that's kind of what this is about.
1: It really is about that. And Darnold, for the beginning of the year last year, when he went to – I think Carolina started off 3-0 or 4-1. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, had a, they got off to a great start under Darnold, and then the wheels just fell off there for a variety of reasons, and then Matt Rule came under fire there. So now he he is trying to find an answer there. They did also draft Matt Coral in the draft. So, I mean, there's a lot of things at play here. My thing I, – I wonder how Browns fans view – baker mayfield now as it's as he's now no longer with the team i guess it doesn't really matter too much in the grand scheme of things what the opinion is but i guess i just think about it and i go you know if i was to if if that was to be a quarterback of a fan that i covered was a fan of all that kind of stuff i would say what a frustrating kind of player and situation there were times where he would just be absolutely outstanding But a lot of things had to be going right. And and when he was outstanding from the Bengals side of things, it always seemed to be against Cincinnati (laughs) that he was outstanding. Uh, You know, he did get them very far. Jeff Lloyd, when we talked to him last week, was talking about how that playoff run in 2020 was kind of like a Super Bowl type of run in the eyes of Browns fans just because of the lack of success and all those kinds of things. Uh, And now, you know, you've got this other quarterback who I think a lot of people are saying, well, he's more – physically gifted but there's all kinds of other issues happening with the quarterback they brought in to replace him so if I'm a Browns fan this whole thing and how this played out I I don't think they handled it well with Baker at all if they wanted to move off him and I know Baker's not a perfect guy and there's been a lot of clashing and all kinds of different things but I don't think they handled it well at all there and you know as a fan you would say wow kind of almost what could have been not you know was there more we'll see if there is more with what he does in carolina or doesn't do i guess but um i don't know from a brown's point of view i would look at this and just kind of say man what happened here
2: i think the optics of them moving on in this really painful and elongated way Mm -hmm. look a lot worse because of how they handled it during the season it was so clear that he was just not able to play at his best and i don't know if he kind of stuck his neck out and said i want to play i want to be on the field but it like if it was joe burrow out there if he if joe burrow did the same exact thing he threw an interception he made the tackle which is something that we could see joe burrow doing 100% and he mm-hmm. injured his his non-throwing shoulder or his labrum or whatever and clearly in the weeks following that he was just not the same he was not throwing his best he was making bad decisions he was pushing through this injury like the smart thing to do would be to shut him down to preserve his health and had that happened i think everyone kind of agrees here baker mayfield is still a cleveland browns player he's still a quarterback they don't go after sean watson because he was coming off of a really good season this point last offseason baker mayfield was looked at as an above average quarterback because of what he did not only as a rookie but in 2020 he had one down year jeff lloyd mentioned this it was like a roller coaster with him but two out of the three years he was pretty solid and pretty solid is amazing for the Cleveland Browns standards. So it it was really unfortunate with how it ended because if he doesn't play, his value doesn't get tanked and he's still looked at as a decent option. But the fact is Deshaun Watson, whatever we can say about him as a person, like he's undoubtedly a better quarterback and the Browns recognized that he was a clear upgrade over Baker and they just did what they thought was the best for their team from a pure football standpoint. I think from just isolating that Browns fans who just don't care about the transgressions. They don't care about the optics. They look at their franchise, their organization, just doing the most to win at all costs. But the fact that they let Baker play through that injury, they didn't shut him down. They didn't, you know, step their foot into the situation and just did the the necessary thing to, you know, preserve his health. Because they didn't do that, I think it looks a lot worse. But ultimately, this is replacing – An average quarterback at best, probably when it's all said and done with a really above average quarterback who will eventually play for them down the road. It might not be this year, but eventually Deshaun Watson will take snaps with the Browns and Browns fans will look at the quarterback situation a lot better.
1: Gut feeling and we'll transition this into the Panthers roster and take a look at that team gut feeling uh do you think he if if he is given the chance to start if he does win that contest that quarterback contest with Sam Darnold do you think he shines do you think it's more of the same is it just going to be the inconsistencies because the reason I asked this John it seems not only is it always seemingly against the Bengals but it seems like when his back is against the wall there's a lot of narratives against him there's a lot of people counting him out he comes up with some form of heroics. I mean, I, I I can think of when Hugh Jackson left Cleveland, he came out and absolutely destroyed the Bengals and was taunting Hugh on the sideline. Same thing a few uh, you know a couple of years later when the OBJ saga was coming up and everybody was saying, well, now it's on Baker because he doesn't have a receiving weapon and all this kind of stuff. He comes up with with a so I you know I, I guess I just um, I don't know. I would love to think I would love to hear what you think in terms of the viability of him in the Panthers system with Matt rule, or or is it just going to be a little
2: bit more of the same with the inconsistencies? I think the average Baker Mayfield season after four years, which again has been very up and down, the average season for him has been about like 61% completion percentage, 24 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, like a decent yards per attempt clipped to me that that screams like the late years of Andy Dalton, which was just okay. And I think that's what Panthers fans can expect from him and in that division, which we're going to talk about, I don't think it's going to be enough to make an impact or to make a run into the playoffs. It might be enough for the Panthers to look at Rule and say, "Hey, he deserves another year." Maybe we, you know, franchise tag breaking Mayfield because he was good enough. But like, I, I don't, I don't see that situation for him being as good as the one that he left with the Browns. When the Browns are fully healthy, like that's a really stacked roster. It's a great offense, even with like Amari Cooper. You would think that. Baker Mayfield would be a lot better than it was last year because, unfortunately, they didn't have a ton of receiving options. Um, He's going to another great running game with Christian McCaffrey. That offensive line has, like, talented pieces, but it's not as complete of a unit as the one he's leaving. The Panthers Panthers are just weird, and we're going to talk about them, but, like, they have talent all over the roster at, like, different positions, but it's just one of those teams where you don't trust them to formulate a good winning team with all the pieces because I think it's just too much doubt with the coaching staff so it just seems like it doesn't matter how well Baker does like this is probably coming to an end in terms of that regime because there's just not enough there to really push them over at the top but I'm not expecting Baker to completely flame out I just don't think it's that good of a situation for him to completely ball out and earn like a a huge mega contract after this year
1: Yeah, he's in that the the final year of his deal. Right. So he um, yeah, that's you know, he's going to play for another contract. Maybe he becomes a journeyman and, you know, kind of a Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of guy where he can go around and do some different things with different teams. Or, you know, maybe he revives his career or maybe it goes the other way and he's just kind of a career backup from here. We'll see what happens. And real quickly, Chris Reisner, good to hear from him. It's been a little while. What else do, uh, do the Browns have at quarterback now? that Baker is gone. Just a reminder: it's probably Jacoby Brissett if Watson is suspended there. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But that's kind of their their option for the most part at uh, at quarterback. It would seem in terms of the, the starter now that Baker's out of the picture. If Watson or when Watson inevitably, inevitably gets suspended, that seems to be the the plan there, right, John?
2: I think Josh Dobbs is the backup too. So I mean, who knows, who knows at this point? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference.
1: Well, here's here is a little a look, and we'll kind of scroll around a little bit. Here's a look at the Carolina Panthers uh, roster, and I guess we'll go. We can start down at quarterback, and it's you know here here's they've kind of collected a bunch of them here. Um, you, you see, PJ Walker, Baker now in there in the uniform, Sam Darnold, Matt Coral, the rookie, and then Davis Cheek. Obviously, the ones that you're you're going to be looking at are the three probably in the middle here. Coral, I don't think. For a guy that had you know, had some excitement and had the injury last year in college, I, I don't think the... For me, I don't think the plan is immediately to have him totally in the mix. Maybe he would be in the mix if they did not land Baker Mayfield. Darnold was in there and struggling. Maybe then Coral was the guy. But it seems to me that they're probably at this position group. It seems to me it's going to be Baker, Darnold, Matt Coral looking at a backup role and, and clipboard holder as a rookie.
2: 100%. Like, I, I would assume Darnold gets the first team reps initially, but it's good it's going to be one of those completely even back and forth like preseason battles between these two and maybe like mayfield just completely outclasses him in training camp and that's just enough i'm assuming they would want to get that competition figured out as soon as possible what is interesting though anthony because we're gonna look at the rest of the team one of their number one one of their best receivers robbie anderson went like public i don't know it was like a month or two ago about his disdain of the idea of Baker Mayfield being mm-hmm. his quarterback, so we're going to see how that chemistry kind of unfolds um, as training camp goes on.
1: Robbie Anderson, one of the one of the more interesting players um, in, in the league here, uh, because I mean that yes, that comment yes, but uh, you know he's also a guy who's he's real streaky. You know, he's a guy that'll come up with some big games here and there, and he's got good. So you can see there six three one ninety, he's an athletic guy, but real streaky. And uh, you know I, I don't I don't quite know how to get a handle on his on his career fully, but when he's good, he is good. And you see here is the rest of the group: Higgins, who I believe played yep. with Baker uh, in in Cleveland. So they've got Rashard Higgins, Rashawn Henry there, Keith Kirkwood, and then a couple of other recognizable names: DJ Moore, who as a uh, as a rookie had a really good season, and Terrace Marshall, the other LSU wideout that was drafted last year. As part of the wide receiver group, you also see a couple of others. Charleston Rambo, Andrew Parchment, uh, Andre Roberts, former Raider, uh, C.J. Saunders, uh, Shai Smith, who was drafted, uh, I believe, in 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, they've, they've collected a lot. You see a couple of others, uh, Brandon Zilstra, Derek Wright. I mean, I think the names you're going to see in the mix, for the most part, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe Shai Smith. But Andre Roberts, D.J. Moore, Terrace Marshall, Rashard Higgins, uh, Robbie Anderson are probably going to be your mainstays there.
2: Yeah, Marshall was obviously a guy that Bengals fans um, pegged as an option in the second round. He ended up lasting towards the end of the second round of the 2021 draft. But I don't think he did very much as a rookie. He had a, he had a promising preseason. D.J. Moore just signed a mega extension. I think he was like 21 yeah. or $22 million per year. And... Good accounting career. for the quarterbacks that he's had to play with, like the very end of Cam Newton, Sam Darnold, he's had the three straight 1,100-yard seasons. And I feel like when you weight the quarterback talent that he's had to deal with, those seasons look really impressive. So it's it's possible that DJ Moore is the best receiver that Baker Mayfield ever played with, when you include the fact that Odell Beckham hmm. just wasn't the same with the Browns and Jarvis Landry wasn't nearly the athlete that Moore is. But to me, that's like that's a collection of receivers that like they're all notable names. They all have talent. I feel like you won't get the most out of them without like a really good quarterback. I'm not sure that that receiving core is enough to elevate a quarterback like Baker Mayfield. But if, if they had like a like a top tier quarterback, that could be like a decent receiving core. Just because I know all those guys like have lasted in the league that they've done things at previous stops. It's just like it's a collection of. A lot of decent players, but they also just have a decent at best quarterback. So who knows how that works?
1: Right. Uh, tight ends, you see here: Tommy Tremble, uh, who's in there. Colin Thompson, Ian Thomas, uh, big guy there out of Indiana. Uh, Stephen Sullivan, Jared Scott, uh, Josh Babbitts. I guess is how you maybe say that one. So uh, you know, I mean, other than Ian Thomas and Tommy Tremble, I, I don't know that there's much that that scares you too my too badly in that
2: position group. Yeah, Ian Thomas, I think, was the first tight end to sign this offseason. And I think his contract now has been dwarfed a little bit. But going off of like PFF's starting lineup, I think Tommy Tremble, who was the third-round pick last year at Notre Dame, he's Mm -hmm. maybe the starter. Maybe that was just because Thomas was injured for parts last year. But yeah, I mean, a decent, okay. You know, Baker's never had like great tight ends to work with um, outside of maybe a, a game or two of Njoku, but again, like they're, they're, they're decent players. They're decent receivers. And at the, at the end of the day, but I think the offensive line is the most interesting part of this. You have a, a rookie left tackle in Aquano from North mm-hmm. from North Carolina state. You have Brady Christensen, at left guard, who was a BYU guy from last year's class. Pat Elfline was signed uh, as a free agent two years ago, but he's never been, He's basically been Billy Price, like 1, 1. 1.5, I guess. It's not, It's I mean, that's a lazy comparison because he went to Ohio State. But but then they signed Austin Corbett from the Rams yep. at right guard. Taylor Moden, another guy at Bengals fans, remember, who was a potential free agent in 21, but then he got mm-hmm. tagged and then extended. So, again, a collection of, of decent players. I think Corbett's fine. Moden has continued to be a very solid right tackle. It's just very much unknowns on the other side of the line. And it kind of reminds me a little bit about the Bengals. Like, the guys who have potential, but there are more question marks than solid answers here.
1: Yeah. You see Cade Mays there, another, another offensive lineman, big guy there, 6'6", 325. Uh, Yeah. I I think it's just like, yeah, a couple good players here and there on the, on the offensive line. But, you know, you mentioned Corbett and you mentioned um, Moten and then, you know, a lot of people like Icky and Iquanu's there. So, you know, I know, I know Jeremiah really liked him. If I, Daniel Jeremiah, mm-hmm. if, I, if I remember correctly, so um, yeah. I mean, so we'll we'll see what happens there, and then of course they've got old Bengals friend Michael Jordan there, by right? Potentially for the yeah. for the for the left guard spot. See, this is also kind of why we do, why we why we go. We want to go through these teams because. Since the Bengals don't play them overly often, we know a lot about the players. We know a lot. We know a lot of the guys on the team and whatnot. We know a lot of the names. But then, as you dig further into the roster, you go, "Oh yeah, him. Oh yeah, him. you know." You kind of you get reminded a little bit. So, um, yeah. So Michael Jordan probably vying for a spot there. Uh, again, kind of on the on the offensive line. A lot of kind of okay. It could be good. Could be okay. Could be good player, but we'll see what happens.
2: Yeah, I want to clarify. When I said it reminds me of the Bengals' offensive line, I meant like last year, like just, yeah. just because. Yeah. Just, yeah, totally comfortable. with The Bengals' offensive line. Now. <laughs> um,
1: so you see here. Here's the running back group. We'll, we'll quickly get to defense in a little bit, but uh, Darius Bradwell, Spencer Spencer Brown, Deontay Foreman, who was with Tennessee, I believe, last year, right? Yeah. He was. Yeah, he was on their playoff roster there at the end. Chuba Hubbard, who was uh, had some good good moments after spelling McCaffrey because of McCaffrey's injury, John Levin, and then McCaffrey, when he is on and he is healthy, he is dangerous. But again, the wear and tear, you're now up there in his sixth season um, or seventh season this year, I I guess, sixth season. So we'll see what happens there, but he he's had trouble staying healthy. That's for sure.
2: Yeah. It's been a while since we've seen a fully effective McCaffrey, but that's unfortunately the reality for the vast majority of running backs who get, pay these big contracts, especially for him, because he just touches the ball a ton. And I think, like, a lot of Bengals fans want Joe Mixon to be kind of in that plan where he gets five to seven receptions a game as a wide out because he has the talent. But 30 25 touches a game, it's going to catch up to you at some point. But I, I forgot that they got Foreman, though. He was the best yeah. running back on the Titans team against the Bengals. Like, if, if Foreman got more carries at the end than like Derrick Henry, it stands to reason that. Titans may pull it out because the Bengals could not stop him.
1: Yeah. He he used one cut and go. You know, he's a north-south guy. Big guy. You can see here six foot two thirty-five, big guy, but effective. Um, and then you see Bradwell here also six foot two thirty-five. Um, let's go to the, you know, as we look at linebackers, they've got a couple of names here that uh, you know, Corey Littleton, um, Brandon Smith, Shaq Thompson, uh,
2: you know, a lot of enthusiasm in these names. Yeah.
1: The yeah. Not, uh, yeah, not really. I mean, Shaq Thompson, you know, he's had some, he's had some decent moments, but I mean, you look at obviously, you know, for years and years and years, they had Keekly. And so now you look at it and you go, uh, you know, so, um, you know, I, 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 there's some names in there that you kind of, you know, you know about and you, you recognize, but other than that, you know, there's no, no, to me, there's not really a game changer in here. Littleton's pretty good. Um, and Shaq Thompson is is pretty good but uh you know again it's it's very like you said it's very indicative across the board of kind of how they it's like uh okay this group's okay right? right i mean there's 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 some solid pieces there's some decent names in there but there's not for the most part there's not the outstanding outstanding players in most of these position groups
2: yeah sage ohio says no name defense i think that I, unfortunately for them it, it summarizes it pretty clearly like thompson he was keekley's running mate for a while and he's still really good he's only he's still only 28 years old despite being in the mm-hmm. league for like eight years but like outside of that of those linebackers like i would definitely say their best players in defense jeremy chin who was a small mm-hmm. school guy uh drafted last or 2021 brian burns off the edge he was a, yep. i remember 2019 like if they didn't take Jonah williams brian burns was my guy like, and I, I claim that as one of my biggest hits <laughs> during, mm-hmm. in the draft. He's, he's good. Uh, he's a monster off the edge. And then Dante Jackson, who I believe intercepted Andy Dalton once or twice the last time the Dallas yeah. played the Panthers, and he was a potential twice. free agent option. They drafted J.C. Horn, who is the son of Joe Horn, but he plays cornerback. Mm-hmm. He was a South Carolina guy. Other than that, yeah, like, again, I just named, like, each position group on the defense. They had, like, one solid to pretty good guy at each spot, but terms of depth maybe it's not necessarily there in terms of star power it's definitely not there Derek brown another former first round pick out of auburn he's more of a nose tackle doesn't really make that much of an impact as a pass rusher so yeah it's it's a collection of a lot of decent players it's just a matter of can this formation of players form a winning team and close out games and whatnot and obviously it's going to come down to the quarterback but i think there's enough here if there was a really good quarterback that's that's unfortunately the issue that they're still looking for.
1: Yeah, uh Matos is um you know, the other another edge player that they drafted with a, with a pretty high pick not too long ago. So yeah, I mean you you mentioned this player right here, Dante Jackson, a good player and I think you know he was uh recently a free agent and a lot of Bengals fans were kind of clamoring maybe for him, JC Horn, the recent pick, CJ Henderson, another guy that's uh pretty interesting, very high pick. Uh, and so, yeah, the secondary along with, uh, Jeremy Chan, they've, they've, that's kind of one of their stronger points. I think overall of their team, I would say, would you not?
2: 100%. And like, that was the goal, I think a couple years ago when they drafted all defensive players, because like their offense was, I think, okay at that point of Cam Newton. So they've built their defense with a lot of young talent, not a ton of guys outside of that team in terms of free agent acquisitions. But yeah, um, if they can just have like a decent quarterback play, they might be in, in more games than they were last year. They might be able to close them out. I think they would love to have McCaffrey to do that. We'll see how healthy he is. But yeah, like luckily for them, I don't think they're the worst team in that division. We can go over what we think is the worst team in that division next. But it's it's a lot of decent, but not a lot of great.
1: So I get. Guess, I'm guessing this is the team that I think that. We- we're going to transition to and that would be the atlanta falcons would it not
2: mm-hmm. yeah. okay
1: so here are some of the names here we can start kind of at the top with corner uh darren hall matt hankins you got casey hayward who is a, a ball hawk player he's had a good nfl career isaiah oliver uh Tabor, and a.j terrell former first round pick who was on that um on the clemson team right uh that, yeah. that was in the yeah so uh a.j terrell uh, you know you look at D Alford, Cornell Armstrong, I mean Corey Ballantine, Mike Ford, Lafayette Pitts. I mean I, really there's aside from AJ yeah, AJ Terrell and Casey Hayward, I mean that's that's kind of what we're mostly working with here and when you're talking about the Bengals wide receiver core potentially going up against this group, that that seems like a a good day in the brewing for the Bengals.
2: These guys are professional athletes. They are the yes. top two, 3% athletes in the world, undoubtedly. But when I say this defense is, is entirely just AJ Terrell and Grady Jarrett, I mean that 100%. You, you are 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this, this is not, this is barely an NFL team. This is not an NFL defense. AJ Terrell is outstanding, he's so much better than I thought he was going to be. Matt Minnick was all over him in the 2020 draft class, and he's developed splendidly. They should pay him all of the monies because he's all they have as far as young talent goes right now. Gertie Jarrett's still kicking it like seven, eight years into his career. He's mm-hmm. been he's been the exact Geno clone or Geno light, I guess you could say, that I, I hoped he would be out of Clemson. And then Hayward, yeah, he's good, but he's also on the wrong side of 30. Um, I think he was okay against the Bengals, though, when they – when the Raiders played them. So, yeah, there's like, there's almost no need to go over the rest of this defense. It's just a lot of guys that we don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, they they got the the rookie, uh, Ketty, hopefully, I yeah. said that correctly, from Penn State. So he's in the mix there now. Um, but I mean, you just look at a lot of these names and you're going, man, I, I mean, they've got Deion Jones, who's been around for a while there. When he's, um, when he's healthy, he can be effective. Kwiatkowski's on the team, and it, it wasn't he the guy that the Bengals were going after, and then yeah. the Ra- Raiders snagged him. But he has been since signing that deal. He was a bit of a disappointment in Las Vegas, I, I believe. So, um, you know, he's he's now with them after the Bengals wanted a free agent deal there. They've got the the good kicker and coup, but I, I mean, really, again, on that defensive side of the ball, you're just going, man, I, there's just not a lot of not a lot of recognizable names. Not, you know, what I mean.
2: Yeah. And like Deion Jones used to be like, he had a really bad year this uh, in 2021. But before mm-hmm. then, like he had five straight plus uh, Very 70 good. grades on PFF. Like he's one of the fastest linebackers in the NFL. He came in at like 6'1, 220, and people thought he was going to be really undersized and not good and not be able to take on blocks. But he just goes around blocks. He goes under them. He mm-hmm. finds the ball quicker than 99% of other linebackers. Um, I don't know if he was hurt last year or he just just completely fell off the face of the earth. But if, if he returns to the form, that's another solid player, but we're up yes. to three now and they still have eight more starters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, looking at some offensive linemen here, Jalen Mayfield, Rick Leonard,
1: Ger- uh, Jermaine, Affetti, Matt Hennessy, Colby Gossett, um, you know, Drew Dahlman, Ryan Newzill. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you got Tyler Vrabel, by the way, uh, son of Mike, I believe. Right. or oh, am. Yeah. Um, Larry Watson, Quentin uh, – I'm sorry, Larry Watson there, not Quentin Bell. Um, so, uh, again, just kind of some of the, the linemen noted here. We can also scroll back up to guards. Uh, Lindstrom, Schaefer, Ether, uh yeah, Schaefer, Lindstrom, and that's that's it there. I don't know, man. Um, again, just kind of
2: lacking some of that that oomph, right? But to the Falcons' credit, like Elijah they've, done, they've done, I think, precisely what Bengals fans wanted the Bengals to do with the offensive line. They've drafted and drafted and drafted guys with high like, premium picks. McGarry mm-hmm. was a first-round pick in 2019. Lindstrom was a first-round pick in 2019. Yep. Hennessey was a third-round pick in 2020, I want to say. Jake Matthews has been there since 2014. He was a first-round pick. So yep. they've addressed the, the issue of the lack of talent up front. I think only... I think most of those guys have developed too. It's just that where they're weak, which is where McGarry and, and Mayfield is, they are very weak. And as we've seen here in Cincinnati, it doesn't matter how good your two or three best offensive linemen are. It's just about how bad the other two or three are. And unfortunately they have some weak spots.
1: Yeah. So we'll get to quarterback here in just a, just a second. Um, they, they did bring in quarter Patterson on the offensive side of the ball. Um, again, just uh, you know damian williams he was the former uh, former chief correct um so he's yeah. he's on the team i mean even at running back you're kind of going you know patterson gives you a little something um depending on how you use him uh, i again you know the it just seems
2: like a, a little bit of a bare cupboard yeah they really need your boy drake london 100% um yes yeah <laughs> uh i forgot yeah Cord- cordero patterson really popped off as a running back out of nowhere last year and he deserved i think a contract that he got from them and god i i don't even like i think they traded for brian edwards the receiver from the raiders just to be like a number two they signed uh damari Demary bird from the patriots and now london is filling in as like that third receiver so like they have some guys there but london's going to be tasked a lot as a rookie, as a 20-21 year old rookie at that, but really like it's gonna be Kyle Pitts 15 to 20 targets a game. It, like at least if I was the offense coordinator, that's what I would do because like you can line him up at X, you can line him up in the slot as the Y, and there's he's just gonna find a way to get open or just tower over guys. Like he's he he really has next.
1: Yeah, so I we'll talk quarterback because that's a huge question mark, but there is obviously something that the Falcons are creating in their pass catchers here, and that is size, that yeah. is catch radius, that is height. Not necessarily speedy. Look who they've got uh, down here, by <laughs> the way, on Tate, but we look at the size. We know the catch radius. We know all about it. Drake London rookie, same guy, 6'4", 215. Saw him in person. He's massive. You mentioned Edwards coming over 6'3", 215. Big guy, right? And you've got Pitts and a, and a slew of other – uh, tight ends coming in there you've got uh Geronimo Allison a wide receiver 6'3, 202 so they like big guys and so that is where if you're the Bengals defense facing off against this Falcon Falcons team that's where maybe you could see some issues because of just the sheer height and size and catch radius of some of these guys
2: yeah and on Tate is I think a legit wide receiver number four now and who knows what What happens in front of him with Edwards and Bird, so he can get, I think, legit starting um, Mm -hmm. opportunities here on on a one-year deal, like a fifth year in the league. But yeah, I think the the quarterbacks that they have, I think, work well with the receivers that they have in terms of height. Like maybe for, I I know that was a thing for Dalton. Can you
1: expound on that?
2: Why do why do you think that is? I, I think with Mariota, like his, I think his accuracy and his. I think the timing of which that he plays well within the system. Like, I, I think he really likes those back shoulder throws. I think he likes hmm. to lob the ball up down the seams. And I think when you have guys who maybe don't separate as fast, or maybe they don't get as open as quick, you can have some of these route concepts where they're just trying to like out physical the cornerbacks or the safeties or whatnot. And if you have size and you have jump ball ability, you have a guy like Mariota who throws a lot of touch. So like he, there's not a lot of velocity. or He's like throwing guys open. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of anticipation it's a lot of just it, there's a lot of loft on on his throws and I, I think with guys like that like size becomes like a premium becomes like a strength in terms of the receivers that he goes after but again with Pitts, like he's just an all-around weapon yep. he just happens to also be six six
1: yep yep uh the pits was i mean i i love who jamar chase became and we we had a we had a fun talk about is it pits is it is it chase? Is it Sewell? You know, when that draft was happening, but I remember talking about Pitts on this show, man, and showing some things and it's just like, he, he's like you said, tight end is not the position name. He's just a weapon, you know? Uh, I right. mean, he, he just does, does it all any, before we move on to our next team uh, for the next few minutes here, any situation, the, the only one I can really see where Ritter comes in and starts. Cause I know you're a big Desmond Ritter guy and I understand why on a number of levels, Marcus Mariota hasn't had the the healthiest career, and maybe that's where Ritter's path, unfortunately, is unfortunate as it may be. Maybe that's his path to starting games this year.
2: Very a little bit of similarities between the two quarterbacks and style of play. No, no, I think I think so too. Like I think with Ritter, I think Mariota's a better athlete, and with, with Ritter, I know I know he can run. Like he ran pretty fast at the on the forty, but. When he was running the ball with UC, it was like it, he was never the guy that would generate positive yards like out of structure. He would just be the guy that would, with design runs he would be able to get a first down or two. Like, but if he's in the pocket and he tries to escape, like he looks so uncoordinated or just doesn't have a plan <laughs> to, like where to go with the ball. So he's got to develop that. Obviously, now nowadays in the NFL, like you need a quarterback that is able to use his legs and, and pick up some yards and first downs like that. But yeah, like with Ritter, I'd never thought that he would get this far, to be honest with you. When I first saw him play in 2016, he's developed splendidly. There's still a lot of questions that he has to answer about his game, but I think he's in a spot where at least he can see the field pretty early and he's got a quarterback in Mariota who's not going to be, you know, I don't blame quarterbacks that don't want anything to do with mentoring the young guys to replace him, but with, I think Mariota is just the guy that will give him all the advice that he needs and will do everything in his power to make sure that he's ready when he eventually um, is supposed to be ready. And, yeah, I think there's similarities in the way that they throw the ball and the way that they see the field. So we'll see how that goes.
1: Interesting because, you know, we're, we're talking about potentially or the example I will use is Tennessee Titans and kind of the re- career resurgence that Ryan Tannehill has had Minus, obviously, the playoff game against the Bengals this last this last season. But he's had a nice career resurgence with the Titans. And I I just because Mariota used to be a Titan, I wonder if this is somehow some situation where he kind of resurrects his career at least a little bit, especially with those giant pass catching targets that he's got to throw to there. It's it's you know if those guys don't get open some of those bigger maybe slower guys if they don't get open <laughs> you know you get they, they'll they'll come down with the ball um, we've seen that a lot from guys like Auden Tate in the past so we got two more teams to go to we'll, we'll go through these over the next couple minutes and then we will get on out of here just want to remind folks that in case you are new here you can get this show on your favorite audio platform orange and black insider part of the cincy jungle podcast channel which would be itunes stitcher spotify google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, radio any of the major ones we are there and then of course you can subscribe to our youtube channel there is an icon beneath john and by that cincy jungle icon click that to subscribe click the bell to be notified when we go live when new content is available we're going to unveil a new series this week we think um I got to double check with my co-host here to make sure we, we green light this thing, but pretty excited about it. Kind of a unique one. It's going to be, I don't know if it's going to be exclusive to YouTube, but it's definitely something that is more on the YouTube side as opposed to the audio side. So you're going to want to make sure you subscribe to the Cincy Jungle podcast channel through your favorite streamers. And then of course, you're going to want to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Leave us a review on the audio side. If you can as well, that will help us out. All right. This, to me, John, as we continue on with our NFC South preview with the Bengals, this, to me, is a, a very difficult team to figure out. And that's the New Orleans Saints. I, I yeah. can't figure this team out. And maybe I can't figure it out because they were so good for so long on, with Drew Brees and Sean Payton. And those two guys are gonzo. Um, so... I don't know what to make of this team. They're talented players. They've lost talented players over the past couple of off seasons and whatnot. I I have a hard time thinking. Part of me is like, this is a playoff team. And part of me is like, no, it's not at all. So (laughs) I just, I don't, I can't get a handle on this team here. And when you look at. Let's start, again, defensive back just because alphabetically that's kind of towards the top of the list here. I mean, there's a couple of names there. You see PJ Williams, Bradley Roby, Marshawn Lattimore. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's a couple of names there. They obviously lost the big one in Marcus Williams to the Baltimore Ravens, which was a big get for them. So a um, couple of big names in there, but still not the the uber shutdown corners that that are on here.
2: Yeah, Lattimore, I, I think, is a little bit underrated. I, he came in with the high good expectations player. at Ohio State, but he's he's still pretty good, and he's worth mm-hmm. the money. Marcus May was pretty good when he was with Jamal Adams with the Jets. He, I think he had a, kind of a down year with, with with them in his last year on the tag, but he has a chance to uh, kind of bounce back, and I think the Saints kind of got him on a good deal. And, and then Matthew, like, I don't know, man. He's been in the league for now 10 years, and I see just as many good great plays with him as bad plays. But I, I think collectively, it's a decent secondary. It's just the strength of this defense, though, 100% is that defensive line. Like Marcus mm-hmm. Davenport, Cameron Jordan, David o- Amaneta, uh some other defensive tackles as well. Like it, it is stout in the way that like it's the old Marvin Lewis type of defense where they have defensive ends that set the edge and they just suffocate the run. But they're really physical and getting after the pass. There's not a lot of finesse in their game. They don't have a lot of burners off of the edge because Jordan and, and Davenport are just those kinds of athletes, but they just bully the crap out of you, and they really yep. set the tone for that defense. And then you got uh, Pete Warner out of Ohio State, a linebacker, who's who was never really an athlete out of Ohio State, but he's developed into a decent linebacker. And then uh, Demario Davis, I think, is still at Mike linebacker for them. So it, it is a solid, stout defense that I think gives teams fits the way that the Bengals do, where they just unexpectedly kind of punch you in the mouth.
1: Zach Bond, also a guy that uh, a lot of people thought the Bengals would be interested in, he is now um, he's he's with New Orleans, uh, kind of a, a do it all kind of guy. A little bit they brought in Taco Charlton for an edge edge depth as well. Obviously, he's been a disappointment since entering the league, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they can kind of just get after you a little bit and 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 in different ways up front. That's uh, that's a good that's a good assessment of that. He's, there's Pete Warner right there. Um, yeah, so, I mean, when you look at the secondary, you look at the the defensive line, definitely those are kind of the areas that you, you feel that they're pretty, you know, they've got some talented players in there. You mentioned uh, Matthew as well in the mix there. So, yeah, uh, you know, some good some good names there. Here's the offensive line. You got Hurst up top also. You had Cesar Ruiz, um, Forrest Lamp, a guy that some people locally in your neck of the woods are uh, familiar with going to Western Kentucky um rock morton the other guy that was a guy that uh, i think was didn't he have a cup of coffee with the Bengals there Mm -hmm. um yeah so and then of course they drafted trevor penning kind of a interesting pick there some people are really high on him some people are not high on him based on you know various metrics so i mean the offensive line it's got some high picks it's kind of like you know what what is becoming of those high picks or what will become of these former high picks or current high picks
2: Yeah, I think like two years ago, this was maybe the best offensive line in the league when they had Taron Armstead, healthy, playing at his peak. Ryan Ramchek is still a really good player. He's still one of the best right tackles in the the league. Eric McCoy was a young guy, uh, either center or guard. He was pretty good. And then they drafted uh, Cesar Ruiz, like you said, and he's developed, I I guess, okay. And then, like, they've had Andrews Pete, who's been, the I guess, their worst, quote-unquote, lineman, but he's not, like, unstartable by any means. They paid him a lot of money to continue to start a left guard. Now, it's just a lot of question marks because Ruiz is not necessarily as good as you would expect a first-rounder to be. Who knows who Trevor Penning is, like, going from Northern Iowa to then the NFC South or just the NFL in general – that's just a big jump at left tackle. McCoy's is still decent but he's not great by any means. It's just Ramchek and just some decent guys and a big question mark. So losing Armstead, I think like I I'm not one to believe that one offensive lineman can make a tremendous amount of a difference, but Armstead was just such a difference maker in the way that he yeah. moves and he could do so many things in the run game with him and he was locked down in pass protection. He's the prototype athlete at that left tackle spot and he's no longer there. So who knows how that will kind of impact the rest of the group
1: we'll get to quarterback in just a second here because there's some interesting names there to be sure here's kind of the the running back situation obviously headed by alvin kamara a a weapon of a player um so you've got some good, and then they, they do have Ingram there. So they've got some interesting names, some some productive names, either currently or pro, uh, or past production. And then when you look at wide receiver, the big question mark there, John, um, I mean, there's, there's tight end, a couple of tight ends in here who can do some things, including Troutman from Dayton mm-hmm. and others. But, um, you know, you look at the wide receiver group, and this is where things get pretty interesting as well. They've drafted Olave. Um, you've got Jarvis Landry now in the mix. The one question, of course, is this guy, Michael Thomas, left, left you know, had a, just a weird year last year where he was, he put off putting surgery on, I think it was an ankle, right? Um, put it off, put it off, put it off, then finally had it. And then it ended up costing him his season. And just, you know, there was a lot of clashing between he and, And the organization. And then you've got Kevin White, the guy that the Bears used, what, a top five, top 10 pick on a handful of years ago as well. He's in the mix. So there's a lot of names in here where you go, hmm, that's interesting.
2: Yeah, I think, I think Olave makes a lot of sense in that offense because (laughs) the the idea of Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas in the same uh, play next to each other is funny to me because like Thomas is regarded as what slant boy. He doesn't stretch the field by any (laughs) means. And then, Fortunately, Jarvis Landry is kind of the same way. Like, he's just plagued by a lack of athleticism. Like, I think they're both really physical at the catch point and stuff like that. But, like, Olave is going to be really counted on to stretch the field. And that's important, Anthony, because the quarterback that they have really likes to stretch the field.
1: He really likes to take some chances. He, uh, he is known as a gambler. We'll scroll back up here. And here are the names. Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, who has had one of the most unique careers in recent history, Uh, and then, of course, Ian Book, the the rookie from a couple years ago, and Andy Dalton (laughs) as with the New Orleans Saints. It would seem that it's going to be Winston. I think you're going to see some Taysom Hill stuff, as you normally do. Dalton being a backup, so they'll probably keep three here. I know they like Ian Book, though. Um, so I, you know, a lot to sort out here, but it seems as if they're committed to Jameis Winston for this year, wouldn't it be something if this game comes up and Andy Dalton starts against the Bengals yet again,
2: it's going to, it's going to happen. It's It's going to happen. It's 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 inevitable at this point, but honestly, man, like Winston was pretty, he was pretty decent for the saints last year. Like he was Mm -hmm. starting to turn the corner. Like I think Sean Payton was kind of reeling him in on some of the decisions. Now that Payton's gone, I don't know how that's going to affect Winston. I Definitely don't know how that's going to affect Taysom Hill, who seemed to be like having leverage against Sean Payton for getting him all that money. I, I don't know what they're going to do in terms of using Hill, but I think Winston's, I think he's a better quarterback than people give him credit for. Just because he threw 30 interceptions in one season, like this team is pretty good around him. Like you were talking about, you don't know how to figure this team out. They're clearly, I mean, we can both agree that they're clearly the best, the second best team in this division, but. I think this team's underrated. That defense is solid and I think Winston with these receivers, man, it, it's not it's not looking too bad. No, they can they can
1: do some things. That's for sure. And obviously with Kamara as well in that mix, uh, he's just he's when he's on, he's insane. Yeah. Um yeah, so I I am going to uh you know, I'm I'm very interested in this game and I know obviously just the Joe Burrow return to New Orleans thankfully in a lot of ways this game was not flexed to uh, you know, I'm sorry for our fans across the pond, but this was <laughs> talked about going either to Germany or, or London or what have you. And just, I think just with Joe Burrow coming back to this area and the fanfare of that, I think, you know, and obviously you've got all kinds of other LSU players on both of these teams. So there's a lot of that going on here. So that'll be one of the more fun and interesting games on the Bengals schedule for sure in new Orleans. So now we, we finish up here as we finish up with uh this and a couple of things before we bounce on out of here, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And we know, I mean, we know a lot of the people on here. Now the big, the big news, obviously we all know Tom Brady retired, then he came back and the coaching changes and all of that. So that's kind of where the storyline resides mostly in this team is, you know, that along with no more Gronk, Uh, Gronk retired. He's not with the team anymore. This team has players. They've got talent. They've got wide receivers. They've got the best quarterback to ever do it. Um, they kept Ryan Jensen, lost Alex Kappa to the Bengals. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think based on the, the see the past few seasons with this team, we know a lot of the cast of characters here, but kind of just to put a bow on this, some of your, your thoughts on this team, strengths, weaknesses, et cetera.
2: Well, last year, the whole thing was like they're going to run it back, and they kept all 22 starters from the 2020 team into 2021. And I'm looking at the team now, and it's not that much different than 2020. Like, they've done a great job of retaining the guys and structuring the deals where they're under the cap and they're paying these guys accordingly. But this this is like a great example for me of why Tom Brady is so annoying. Because, of course, the dude retires but doesn't retire. He doesn't announce that he's retiring, right? He he just kind of leaks the rumor that he is so people stop talking about it. Then right before free agency begins, he announces he's coming back in. And that, that brings Ryan Jensen back into the fold. And we can say whether or not the Bengals were actually interested in Ryan Jensen. Malik Wright is pretty firm in the stance that the Bengals weren't going to actually offer him anything. But... Alex Kappa still chooses the Bengals over the Buccaneers, even though they tried to retain Alex Kappa. He said, Nope, I like Joe Burrow. I like this deal that the Bengals are offering me. That's fine. And you would think that that would be a blow to Brady and the Bucks. No. Then they trade for an even better right guard in Shaq Mason, who used to play for Brady with the Patriots for like a fifth round pick. And the offensive line gets better out of nowhere. They were supposed to lose both Jensen and Kappa. They already lost Ali Marpet because he retired. And then they get Shaq Mason and they draft a decent guy. And I think, Godecki out of Central Michigan who's going to play left guard for them the offense line is just as fine if not even a little bit better because it's younger it's crazy
1: yeah and then you you look at I mean so you talk about Kappa being one of the starters out of the out of the mix that they've they, they did not retain you you've all, also got Indomitian Sue, who is not in the mix there but instead they bring in another good player Akeem Hicks veteran <laughs> Akeem Hicks yeah to, to kind of f- help fill that role so I mean that's that's a good player there Vita Veya is an absolute mammoth of a human being at six four three forty seven, in the middle of that defense. Um, you talked about Shaq Mason here in terms of the guard and, and position and whatnot. They've got some, obviously a, a couple of when they are healthy and they are playing right and playing well, they are really good in Levante, David and Devin white, two very good players there. Obviously David getting up there in age a little bit, but Devin white is uh, kind of a big play machine. There's also a little bit of a mixed bag where some of his PFF scores doesn't necessarily equate to the big plays that he makes. But, I mean, he he makes big plays. So there's no doubt about it. Um, so, I, again, you know, not a lot of – that. there have been a couple of departures, a couple of, of acquisitions. You see here Fred Johnson, backup offensive lineman Obviously the guy that was with the Bengals for the past couple of years there. Shaq Barrett, the guy that they stole from the Bengals a couple of years ago. <laughs> And has been outstanding for them as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, really, Joe Tryon. I think he had a couple of nice moments uh, last year as well. I mean, there's 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 some talent here, obviously. Uh, and then, of course, none more high profile than that guy right there, Tom Brady. You've got Gio Bernard, Leonard Fournette, Ken Kenjian, Barner, Keyshawn Vaughn at the running back, uh, Rashad. Well, you know, a lot of a lot of names that we all know at this point in time, and then safeties—they've got some names as well. Keanu Neal, a guy who's been around the league. I think he was, he was with the Falcons, I think, before he came over here. Logan Ryan, who's been in the league for a while. So uh, this this is going to be a hard matchup for the Bengals. There is a lot of talent on this team.
2: Yeah, and I think what interests me the most is in terms of the Bengals and just and why the Bucks are so good. To me, is like they're so strong in both receiver and cornerback. And those are the two, in my opinion, like the most important positions outside of cornerback. And w- when you talk about the Bengals, you have T Higgins and Jamar Chase going up against two really physical and athletic cornerbacks Jamel Dean and uh, Carlton Davis, who I believe they just paid this uh, past off season, who was supposed to go someplace else, but then they took a team friendly deal to return and running back with the bucks. Like they're both out of Auburn. They were both day two picks in the, in the late 2010s they both play really similar games. They can run with guys, but they can press guys at the line. That's going to give, you know, Chase and Higgins both challenges. And then you have Chris Godwin coming off, I believe, a torn ACL. So who knows when he's going to be able to play. But Mike Evans. Good player when he's he's on, though, man. Oh, Godwin is so good. Um, Like, and he's only like 25, 26 years old. Mm -hmm. Mike Evans, um, I believe an NFL reporter said this today. I I don't forget. I don't remember her name. But he might be the most underrated player in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Like for a guy who makes eight Pro Bowls. Like he's not talked about in like the top five receivers, but he's just kicking it with a thousand yard season after a thousand yard receiving, a thousand yard season. Six four, like two twenty, and runs really fast, and he just catches everything that's thrown his way. Like this is a tough, tough matchup for both Woozie and Eli Apple or Cam Taylor Britt.
1: Yeah, and you look at Russell Gage; he's done some some nice things in the league over the years. Tyler Johnson, a guy I know they liked a lot. Um, and then of course, look at this, Brashad Perriman down there. Oh, by the way, he was a former first round pick. He's gonna be fighting for a roster spot. That's how deep they are at this at this position group. It's pretty crazy. And look at all the look at all the names there. It's like crazy. But <laughs> I mean, they've got a lot of they got a lot of talent there. They've got a lot of talent there. And uh that's like you said, it's gonna be a difficult matchup for Luana Rumo and crew there. So that is kind of a look at the rosters of the NFC South. We'll kind of continue doing this with the other teams as well, AFC East and, and some others in, on the Bengals' schedule since we've done this on the AFC North side. But that is our look at the NFC South. We did kind of a lot of it, but um, I hopefully we gave you a clear picture or at least reminded you of some players on these teams and what the Bengals are facing. Yeah, man.
2: Um, it's not... The joke of a division that it has been in recent years. Like obviously the Panthers are going going through some things. The Falcons are just dreadful. But as long as Brady's <laughs> there, like their bucks are gonna be good. And the Saints, again, don't don't count out the Saints from like me being a wild card team this year. Like they have enough players, and I think Winston is gonna do pretty well there so uh, that's two potential or one guaranteed playoff team but two potential teams that can do some damage in January
1: and the two teams that are the two potential playoff teams are the road games for the Cincinnati Bengals yeah. and the two the two uh easier ones are the are the home games there so uh that's that's the NFC South folks so we'll we'll cap it there John I think you've got a quick remember when for us before we hop on out of here with a mic drop and the like
2: I do have a remember when 2009 was such a weird year for the Bengals. It was just ground and pound. Carson Palmer not really doing too much, but just leaning on Cedric Benson. Not a lot of high scoring games, but specifically in those first, let's call it seven games, was such a wild ride for being five and two. It was not the easiest five and two for the Bengals. And the phrase that was brought up a lot. Was the cardiac cats, and that was like the nickname that this team, at least at this part of the season, kind of earned. When you started, it was a twelve to seven loss to the Denver Broncos. Of course, everyone remembers uh, the, the Gus God. Johnson call, uh, down the uh, sideline. Uh, after that, though, after that, the fortune kind of changed a little bit. You had a wild game in Green Bay with Antoine Odom having like six sacks. So there's one and one. You beat the Steelers off of Andre Caldwell game-winning touchdown, twenty-three to twenty, in Paul Brown Stadium. Mind you, the Bengals didn't beat the Steelers very much at home during the Marvin Lewis era, so that was a rare occurrence. Then or go, anywhere. Well, that's true too. But <laughs> <laughs> then you go up north to Cleveland, you beat the Browns in overtime, twenty-three to twenty, and then you go on the road again to the Ravens. I think the a couple days after Mike Zimmer's wife passed away, and you win off of another Andre Caldwell touchdown. Uh, thrown by Carson Palmer, you lose, you drop one to the Texans. But then, specifically, what I thought of with this—remember when after that insane five-week, you know, heart attack start that still netted, I think, a 4 2 start—you get the Chicago Bears coming to town, and Cedric Benson's the starting running back, and he was the first-round pick from the Bears, and it's like, oh, it's a potential revenge game, and my God, it was a revenge game. Like I've been, I've been to Bengals games before, like five or six years up to this point. I had never seen the Bengals dominate another team like this before. 45 to 10 over a team that they didn't play very often. And then Cedric Benson just, he just had a game, man. He just, he scored a, he scored a, he scored touchdowns. He had Carson Palmer being really efficient, 20 for 24 with five TDs and 233 yards. Cedric Benson, 37 rushes, 189 yards on the ground. It was just every, like that's, there was four incompletions and you had a running back averaging like five and a half yards per attempt. There was not, there was only a handful of times where the Bengals run offense and they didn't achieve any type of positive outcome. They scored what? Like six touchdowns, including five from the quarterback. The defense was dominant against the Bears team. That I guess didn't have a ton of offensive weapons at the time, but coming off of that five to six weeks stretch where it was just, are the Bengals going to pull this out again? And they somehow do. And they just kept doing it every single week. And they earned a moniker of, regarding their late game heroics to then come out with a 35 point win in a revenge game for their running back that everyone kind of, um, I guess, gravitated towards Cedric Benson became like kind of a fan favorite for how, you know, dominant he was as a bell cow running back. And then for that performance against his former team, that that was something special.
1: That's a great remember win, and I I do remember that. And I do remember that game. Well, I do remember that, that game fondly and that team. I, I wish they really, I mean, I wish the old five team got to see its full potential. I wish, you know, some of these Andy Dalton teams got to see their full potential and, and go th- march through the playoffs and whatnot. I really have a soft spot for that team because it was, a, it, when you look at the players and you look at who contributed and you look at all the, and then of course the soft spot of unfortunately two of the players that were very integral to their, their success that year, Cedric Benson and Chris Henry, both, both passed away very young and in unfortunate situations. And so you know, I mean that—that kind of pulls at your heartstrings a little bit, and then you've got guys. Wasn't that the year like Larry Johnson just joined the team in the middle of the I season, think so. and it was like just you know, oh, let me just have a hundred-yard game against the Chargers or something, right? It's like, <laughs> and and then you had the DeHani – all these cast-off guys, all these cast-off guys came in and they just played well, and they, I, I, I felt as if there was an overachievement in, in a lot of ways based on the roster. There was talent on that roster, but there was some overachieving going on and that's kind of why I've got a soft spot for it. But yeah, that is a, that is a great remember when, and man Benson just absolutely took it to the bears that day. It was like silly.
2: JP Fosche found the end zone. That's how you knew. fashi
1: cool well. I forgot about JP fashi We should have a remember <laughs> when on him just by himself, man. Uh, JP fashi That's a good one. That was a good one, John. That was a good one. What do you we got should. for a What do you, what do you got for a mic drop? Oh, that was gonna be my mic drop. I'm gonna hand it off to you now. <laughs> okay. Well, like I said, we're gonna be um, we're gonna be getting a new. Uh, we're gonna be putting out a new kind of episode. At least, maybe through the summer, we'll try it out. Hopefully, you guys like it. And uh, we, we're just gonna kind of chronicle some things and do. It's not gonna be a live show. It's gonna be something different. So we'll probably be dropping that later this week, and hopefully, you enjoy that and um obviously there's been some big announcements on the cincy jungle podcast channel um going forward so excited about that and having some new additions and and other things that are that are in the works too so um again i know it's a little bit of the slower period for <laughs> news and all kinds of stuff but uh stick with us stick with cincyjungle.com because we're, we're pumping out all kinds of stuff there as well headed by the guy next to me there um so we're, we're we're not really taking breaks. We're, we're pumping out a lot of stuff for you, even though the off season is in full swing.
2: Yeah, man. Good show tonight. Um, we'll catch you guys next week. All right. Take care, everybody. This has been
1: the orange and black insider. We'll see you next week.